The day I became a mother was the first day I felt the fullness, the strength, and the mightiness of Storge love. From the moment they laid my daughter in my arms, I knew I had never known another love quite like this. But Storge love, also known as affection, extends to more than just the mother-child relationship. This is Christian Curious, and I am Dr. Haley Gray Scott. Each week, we tackle some of the hardest, most pressing questions facing Christians in the 21st century. Today, I am speaking with David Bates about Storge love and how it can impact our lives. David Bates is the host of the C.S. Lewis-centered podcast, Pints with Jack. After working as a software engineer in England for several years, David moved to the United States in 2008, where he settled in San Diego. Then, in 2020, he married his wife, Marie, and moved to La Crosse, Wisconsin. Together, they have a one-year-old son, Alexander. His wife runs Pints with Chesterton podcast with her friend, Grace. Before Pierre and him left him constantly craving sleep, David wrote regularly at RestlessPilgrim.net and was a visiting speaker on subjects of scripture, church history, and evangelization. Thank you so much, David, for joining us. Well, thank you very much for the invitation. You know what? I can totally relate to the um, lack of sleep, especially with my <laughs> youngest daughter. Totally. Um, this morning, 5.20 a.m., my son woke up. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and then what time did he go to sleep? Uh, usually 7.30. Okay. So that's not too bad. It doesn't feel like it in the mornings. No, it doesn't, feel, it doesn't feel like it at, at 5.30. No, no, no. Okay, so can you tell us a little bit about what Storge love is? Um, sort of the genesis behind this series is trying to understand how there's more than just the one love that we idolize in our culture, which is the Eros love. What is Storge love? Mm -hmm. Well, storge is a Greek word, S-T-O-R-G-E. And in the book, The Four Loves, Lewis says he looks it up in his Greek lexicon, and there it says that it's affection, especially between parents and offspring, specifically for parents for their offspring. And he says that the image that we need to have in our head is uh, that of a nursing mother or a basket full of puppies or kittens, you know, feeding and nuzzling in a, in a lovely heap together. Uh, and... Over the course of the, the chapter in the fallouts where he speaks about Storgi, he broadens the definition a couple of times. First of all, he makes it mutual, so that it includes children for parents. Uh, and then he eventually broadens it even further to the love of the familiar. Uh, I would describe it as the, the love which is sort of built in, informal, it's very humble. Um, and it can be a love that exists on its own, or it can be combined with other loves. But I'm sure we'll talk about that later. Right. I mean, so could it be love for places even? I think you can have affection for places, yes, because they are familiar to you. Uh, I live in the United States, and so whenever I get to go back to England, I love going back to places that hold memories for me because I spent so much time there. You know, kind of a weird aside is the very first time that, you know, all of my ancestors come from England, but I grew up in Texas. But when I was walking around the streets of London, 
I felt such great affection for the city, like I'd known it before. It was really mm -hmm. bizarre, anyway. Um, well, I would hazard a guess because you have known it before through movies, through books, through literature. All of these things have helped you feel like you know this thing more than you actually do from experience because you have, in a sense, spent time in London, albeit in a book or through a movie. That would be a great point. That's true. So we typically think of stor Storge, when we think about that type of love, we we do think about that parent-child relationship, the one that I mentioned um, at the top of the show. And I mentioned it because even, even if I had felt that love before in my life, I had never felt it quite as intensely as I did when I put my daughter in my arms. And it was just like this rushing force all around that surrounded me that I was going to protect this baby with everything that I had. Um, so it was so strong. And so are there other areas and other types of relationships that we may see this type of love? Lewis would, Lewis would say so, and so would I. But the point that he makes is that storgaze is gradual. By the time it happens, by the time you notice it, it's actually been building for some time. And I would say probably what happened when you held your child is it was just the culmination of what had been happening for nine months, loving this child and having this child in your own body. Uh, and it was at that point you realized all of this love that had been building up in, in, a, in, a, in a moment of, of just yearning for your child. Yeah. But Lewis does broaden the definition of Storgi. And just as an aside, if people are reading The Four Loves, um, Lewis is giving us a model for understanding love. He's giving us a lexicon, a vocabulary to talk about the different aspects of love. So you could present different models. But in his model, Storgi is about love of the familiar. So it goes far beyond that of just parents and children. Uh, it's about things that are comfortable and familiar. And so therefore you can have affection, storge, for innumerable objects, uh, because storge is not very discriminating. It's the presence of these things in our lives which helps the affection grow. And Lewis says that there are women for whom we can predict few wooers, and men who are likely to have few friends, they have nothing to offer. Kind of harsh, but that's what he says. <laughs> but he says almost anyone can become an object of affection, the ugly, the stupid, even the exasperating. Right. He says there's no apparent fitness between those whom it unites. It ignores barriers of age, sex, class, and education. It ignores barriers of species. We see it not only between dog and man, but surprisingly between dog and cat. Dog and cat. Yeah. Um, how does that work, though? I mean, explain to me how Storge can have the affection for the unlovable or the exasperated. Give me an example for that. Well, do you ever have any of those old friends who you say went to school with or you were in the same office as this person and you've seen that person day in and day out and they have their little foibles and their flaws, you know, it's like, oh, they're talking about football again or, oh my goodness, I've heard this rant before or they are so pernickety about people using their coffee mug. Even though they can be exasperating in that way because of just the, the time you've spent with that person, you've grown warm towards them very often, not always, but very often. And there's a side effect of that familiarity because you have 
more opportunities to see what is what can be appreciated about that person just simply because the amount of time that you've spent together right yes you can often see that in you know between close colleagues or of some kind where they have to work together on a project or they may and they may have disparate personalities and differences but yet they have a sort of affection for one another and Lewis even says that you see it at retirement parties. If you have been at an office where somebody's leaving and there's somebody that you didn't particularly talk to a whole lot, you didn't directly deal with them in your day-to-day -day work, they were just sort of around there in the background, and you feel a sense of sadness when they're leaving. That is affection doing its job. That's you realizing that something has been slowly building up in you uh, towards that person all of those years, even if you didn't recognize it at the time. I wonder if there is a concept to that notion of not recognizing storge love. Hmm. Do you think that that might be the case for many people or anybody? Yes, it, it goes hidden for so long. And we often don't reflect upon it very often. It's not the sort of love that you make songs about. It's not the sort of love that you by and large make movies about. And it's therefore something that we tend that tends to go unnoticed uh, until those pertinent moments when a friend gets married, changes offices, or something of that of that uh, of that kin. Or say, for example, at graduation, everybody gets very sentimental at graduation. And I think it's one of those moments of recognition as to what has been building up over the course of those years, even if you have a somewhat checkered history with some of these people. Right. I grew up in a town of 1,400 people in Texas. And the same 62 people that I went to preschool with were the same 62 people that I graduated high school with. And we felt that sort of um, bond, that sort of, that affection, even though we had been through the ringer, you know, for however many years. And it broadens our horizons because we end up having love for people who are often very unlike us, with very different interests, very different priorities. Uh, Lewis says that, uh, are they made for us? Thank God, no. They are themselves <laughs> odder than you could have believed and worth far more than we guessed. That is the magic of Storgi. Oh my gosh, I love that. Worth far more than we guessed. That is incredible. Um, what do you think about the representation of storge love in our culture? Do you think that we pay enough attention to it? Um, do you think it's underappreciated or underdeveloped? Hmm. In the book, Lois spends a lot of time talking about the Victorians, who he says they exalted affection so high they often confuse it with higher forms of love. And I think it's fairly safe to say that we today certainly don't make that mistake. But I think we make different mistakes. And if we take the strictest view of Storge relating to the family, we definitely don't esteem it very much today. I think family bonds are not seen as special or important. Marriage isn't seen as permanent if it's engaged with at all. Honor thy father and thy mother is seen as antiquated, outdated. Many fathers are absent from the home. So I would suggest that our view of the family these days doesn't exactly foster a stable environment in which Storgi can grow. You know, it sort of reduces the habitat where it can survive. But with regards to the sort of broader understanding of Storgi, the love of the familiar, 
I'm not entirely sure, but I've got two thoughts. First of all, I can't help but feel that our devices these days, they reduce the amount of time that we actually spend with each other and they create distance. So for example, I grew up in a tiny village and as a child, I remember visiting our butcher, the post office, the Mm -hmm. local bookstore. But now we don't do any of that. You know, if we go to the supermarket in person, we're either going to a different teller each time or we use the self-service machine. So I think technology has replaced many of the activities where Storge would have developed previously. And my other thought, and I'm not sure if this is just me being very English, but I've noticed it more in the States that people often mistake Storge for friendship. They assume that if there is some level of acquaintance, then it has to be uh, a friendship and a rich one with real intimacy. Uh, it's almost as though I would say Storgi isn't actually really viewed as a love at all. Uh, and so you often find people going to relationships, which are Storge relationships, uh, and expecting friendship out of it. Uh, but as, as scripture says, let your acquaintances be many, but one in a thousand you're confident. Well, you know, I think that, you know, my personal opinion on this is that Americans don't really know what friendship is. We mm-hmm. conflate it. Maybe we can, I have not thought about the fact that we conflate it with Storge love, but I have often thought how we confl- we conflate it with philia love or we mm-hmm. intertwine those loves and to the point where, you know, it's a debate. Can men and women be friends? Um, <laughs> is a huge debate um, because those two loves are so well intertwined. I don't think that we understand friendship. And I do think that there is a poverty in our understanding of familial love because we do have such broken homes. We do have so many, um, especially Uh, in the African-American community where it's single moms, where they, the kids have no relationship with the father. Um, We come from, uh, you know, every, you know, I think most of my daughter's friends, their parents are divorced or are divorcing or separated or remarried, or they, um, my own parents are divorced Um, thankfully I've been married for almost 23 years. Um, so I've been able to like go against that statistics of the, the divorced kid will be divorced. You know, that's what they said Mm -hmm. about us, um, when I was growing up, but yes, the, the family love, um, is definitely something that is, that's really underdeveloped here in America. And and I think I would say that in that sense, in the familial sense, we're starving for that type of love. With a heart for the gospel and devotion to scholarly excellence and biblical authority, Denver Seminary prepares you to engage the needs of the world with the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of scripture. Our online, on-campus, and hybrid education programs make it possible for you to earn a graduate degree or a certificate, or simply grow in your knowledge of the Bible. Learn more about Denver Seminary at denverseminary.edu. So one might be 
the dangers. Are there any kind of hidden dangers in storge love? Like, you know, I think of Pam's affection in The Great Divorce. Um, mm-hmm. And for those who might not have read that book, um, she, you might be able to describe this scene better. Describe Pam for the listeners. I think it's best summed up with something that she says. The context of, of this quotation is is really great and amazing. And The Great Divorce is my favorite book of Lewis. So everybody should definitely read it. But here's the line which really sums up Pam. She says, no one has the right to come between me and my son, not even God. Tell him that to his face. I want my boy and I mean to have him. He's mine. Do you understand? Mine, mine, mine forever and ever. So here we see that storge love can become possessive. And we see here that this mother, she has elevated love of her child above the love of God. And affection is a wonderful thing. Mother love is a wonderful thing, but it's not the best thing. And one of the characters in The Great Divorce responds to this scene by saying that there's something in natural affection between in mother love, which can lead on to eternal love. But there's also something that makes it easier for it just to stop right there and mistake it for the heavenly kind. My, my favorite uh, phrase in it is, brass is mistaken for gold more easily than clay is. Basically, because something is so good, it can be confused for the best thing, even if it's actually not the best thing. And he says that if this kind of love refuses a conversion, he calls it, and if it becomes corrupted, which is the big theme inside the four loves, how these loves can go wrong, uh, he says the corruption will be even worse. He says it's a stronger angel, and therefore, when it falls, it's a fiercer devil. Right. It's absolutely true. And it's absolutely, uh, you know, the mother child relationship can is just the one of the best examples of that case of the way that it can be conflated the bronze, confusing the bronze for the gold. Mm. And Lewis uses those sorts of examples throughout all of his works. My co host, Andrew, you'll be uh, having on, uh, he'd never forgive me if I didn't point out at this point that in Lewis's earlier book, Till We Have Faces, uh, it's all about corrupted love. And we see the protagonist, Storge Love, for her sister, uh, go to some very, very dark places. But also in The Four Loves, Lewis gives another example of a mother that he calls Mrs. Fidget, who lives for her family and in so doing terrorizes them. <laughs> uh, we're told she always sat up to welcome you home if you were out late at night. Two or three in the morning, it was no odds. You would always find the frail, pale, weary face awaiting you like a silent accusation. Which meant, of course, that you couldn't, with any decency, go out very often. And we hear that when she unfortunately dies, uh, the family begins to flourish, even the dog. And Lewis ends that section by saying, The vicar says Mrs. Fidget is now at rest. Let us hope that she is. What's quite certain is that her family are. That's right. Yes, so the overprotective mother. A good, a good, parent, yes, a good go parent or a good teacher should nurture the love they have uh, towards their child, but nurturing them towards independence. Uh, and when it goes wrong and becomes twisted, that twisted storge, it then turns to nurturing dependence in an attempt to maintain the status quo. You know, the day after my daughter was born, um, I was sitting alone with her for the first time. I mean, I had been in labor for... Um, 16 hours and it was my first time alone with her and um this nurse comes in and she sees me weeping over my daughter 
And she says, Mama, what's wrong? And I said, she's not mine. <laughs> and she immediately panics. I like, I see the panic, like go, oh no, <laughs> we have some psychosis on our hands. Um, I'm like, no, no. What I mean is this is God's baby. This is God's baby. As much as I love her, as much as I and my soul is tethered to hers, she is not mine. And her life belongs into the Lord. And I can't control that. This baby is not mine, but God's. Mm -hmm. And I was just like struck by first the story gay one day, the very first day, and then the next day realizing, oh, this baby's not really mine. And even to this day, she's 13. And I treat her with that same deference where she is God's child. She is not my child. And it's, it's a delight to get to know who she is, you know, and who, who God created her to be. Um, I, you know, as people start to think and open up their awareness of what storge love is, what affection is, and what it, role it might play in their lives, what are some of the things that we can do to be to ensure that it's healthy, that we don't go into those errors of Miss Fidget or Pam? Mm. Well, that is the million-dollar question, and that is what The Four Loves basically attempts to answer throughout. And it culminates at the end because Lewis says, if we live by affection alone, affection will go bad on us. And I don't want to give too much away of what he says at the end of the book. I believe you're having a theologian on to talk about uh, charity. So I'll just restrict myself to what Lewis says in the Storge chapter. No, you go ahead said, and you can say about I can that. ruin everything. Yes. <laughs> oh, well, so I'll, I'll start with what he says in the Storge, because he, he hints at what he's going to get to eventually. He says, affection produces happiness if and only if there is common sense and give and take and decency. In other words, if there is something more and other than affection is added. The mere feeling is not enough. You need common sense, that is, reason. So not only will these things produce happiness, he says that this is what's going to be necessary to maintain Storge, to, to keep affection alive and healthy. And he goes on to unpack in, in the book what he means by give and take and decency. And he speaks of it in terms of justice, that's give and take. And for decency, he uses words like goodness, patience, self-denial, humility. And he says, and the continual intervention of a far higher sort of love than affection itself can ever be. So I would say Lewis's main point is that for Storge to remain Storge, for it to remain affection, for it to remain healthy, it first of all needs us to be people of virtue. Right. And without that, it's going to go bad. You and I are actually recording this on Valentine's Day. And uh, I've already quoted him once today to my wife, uh, a friend of our show, Dr. Jason Lapoyavi. And when he was talking about Eros, because I spoke to him just before I was going to get married, I said, what's the, what's the best thing I can do? And he says that in order to become a good lover, you first of all need to become a good person. And in order to become a good person, you need to practice the virtues. And he said, now this is very unsexy advice, but I think it's realistic. <laughs> and in the long run, everything which is realistic is sexier than that that is unrealistic. Right. So I would say Lewis's chief answer is we need to be virtuous people. 
and that we need this something else to come in to our affection to ultimately save it. And that is where he's going to go with in terms of charity. Now, quite how you unpack that, uh, there's a lot that needs to be said, but I think it's it's enough to say that we need the kind of love that we see Jesus expressing to his disciples when he says, you can be Lord and Master and I wash, and that's true, but if I, the Lord and Master, wash your feet, you should wash one another's feet. Uh, that we read in scripture that um, while we were still sinners, uh, he gave himself for us. It's this, it's this kind of love which needs to be joined uh, to affection, to, uh, to, to one, keep it affection, but also to elevate it to far higher levels and to help us remain affectionate when our natural feelings, our natural inclination is to not do that. Uh, anyone that has been married will know exactly what I mean. Some mornings you don't want to get up and look after the child. Some days your spouse is being annoying and you can snap at them if you want. And it's at that point that uh, a bigger, higher, more powerful love that is fed by the grace of God can come in and elevate our natural loves. So affection, romantic love and friendship to higher levels. Yes, I, I totally agree with the concept of becoming a virtuous person. I believe that for a very long time, we have rejected religious language um, here in America. Um, but I do believe that we are ready for language like virtue, especially I see that among Generation Z, who are desperate for something firm to ground their feet into, something firm for which to build, to become a good person. And what does it mean to become a good person? These are questions we've not asked ourselves in a very long time. And I think that they are very well, you know, due for a renaissance here mm -hmm. in America. So um, before we go, um, where can people find you online and find out more about Pints with Jack? Sure thing. Uh, everything is at pintswithjack.com. It's called Pints with Jack because C.S. Lewis was a member of the Inklings. His nickname was Jack, and he'd very often meet the Inklings at a pub to talk about books and theology. So Pints with Jack. And we're on all the social medias, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And I would suggest that if anybody wants to learn more and dig deeper into the four loves, just go to pintswithjack.com, the four loves, separated by dashes, or you can just do pintswithjack.com slash TFL. And that will take you to a resource page that I've put together with everything that I've found, because I'm actually also writing a book on the four loves at the moment, which I'm hoping will be done by the end of the year. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being with us, David. You're very welcome. Thanks for the invitation. You've been listening to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley Gray Scott. Please check out our website at www.christiancurious.com to find more shows and find out more about us and send your questions, send your questions, concerns, anything you want along. And I would love to get back with you and love to, we would love to dialogue with you. That's www.christiancurious.com. Stay curious.